episode 44 of the Movie Brats podcast. I am Carter, and joining me, as always, is Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan? My line these days is that my day-to-day life is fine, but the overarching kind of the election and climate change and Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying, like I'm pretty despondent about the state of the world, but my life is okay. But... I mean, as as everything is crumbling around us, at least one positive to take out of this. For the first time in how long do you think? Nine months? We are actually reviewing movies that we have seen in the last few weeks on this podcast. So there is some excitement. Right. We uh, both went to the movie theater for the first time. It was almost exactly six months for me. The fir- What was the last film you saw in a theater? Before it was the uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it shows I... you how long ago it was because that came out technically last year. Right. Um and I saw the Pixar film Onward, and it was almost like a premonition because I saw it on like a Tuesday at 10 p.m. And I was the only one in the IMAX theater. That, if and I remember so, correctly, was like a week maybe after the was, whole thing it was, started, before it, no, the official shutdown came, but when right. the hysteria was sort of beginning. So people were not going to movie theaters. Right. I was uh, before I went to uh, to Florida on spring break, like once we were in Florida, it really started being like, oh, no, things are closing. And uh-huh. like we didn't go out too much. And then we uh, we went home after spring break. And then I, I transitioned online at both the universities I was teaching at. So I saw Onward. I didn't see any movies in Florida. And the two movies I saw on the same day on Labor Day are the two movies we're going to be reviewing. Mm-hmm. I saw I'm Thinking of Ending Things, Charlie Kaufman's new film, which is now on Netflix. Yes. And uh, I saw, and you saw in a theater, Tenet. Yes. I saw it in 70 millimeter film print. But uh, do we want to start by just talking about our thinking and our feelings about going back to a movie, what we wanted to see, when we would, what we would go out to see, and what the experience of seeing a film in a theater was like after six months, basically. Definitely, because for, I mean, the longest time, the thought of going to a movie theater did not even cross my mind. I'm guessing it's the same for you. I mean, we didn't exactly have the opportunity, but even like the first week that theaters were opening, I was like, there's no way I'm going to go to a movie theater. But then just sort of the more it went on, I was like, is it so bad? Is it such a bad thing to go to a movie theater? And ultimately, like there were movies I wanted to see that had come out in theaters. The Personal History of David Copperfield, one of them. I think it was number one for me for movies I was most excited for this year. So when that came out was like the first time I thought about actually returning to a movie theater. But then Tenet coming out being a Christopher Nolan movie. And one that I felt like I had to see on the big screen, which David Copperfield, I've read the book. I'm excited for it, but I think I could. I don't have to see that on the big screen because it's not like an action movie. But then Tenet being an action movie, being a Nolan movie. I wish I had seen it in IMAX. I didn't end up seeing it in IMAX. But I mean, it was a fitting movie to see in theaters because it was like a big blockbuster that if you don't see it in theaters, there's no way you're going to like it. <laughs> Seeing it in theaters and all the spectacle that comes with the movie is uh, gives you a good chance to like it. We'll, we'll give you our, uh, our opinions on it in a minute but yeah what was your sort of process of deciding to go to a movie and i know you were excited to see i'm thinking of any things for a very long time being a right. big charlie coffin fan so that right. i guess ultimately was the one that got you <laughs> to a movie theater again and tenet was just the cherry on top right so even though it was going to be on netflix netflix one week later uh charlie coffin is 
my second favorite living director. And it's kind of an asterisk because it's like, well, I'm really thinking of the films he just wrote also. But uh-huh. Synecdoche, New York is my favorite film of the 2000s and possibly of the whole century so far. It's a film that really means a lot to me. And I saw that it was going to be playing in a theater in Atlanta. And I was like, you know what? I think I can go. And because it's a little over two hour drive from Greenville, I thought, well, Tenet's also playing in 70 millimeter. And it's one of the few places anywhere in this part of the country that is playing it on film. So I was like, well, if I'm going to make the drive, you know, I might as well see two films. And I had a great day. I was rested. <laughs> I got there in plenty of time. And for my two screenings, I went to see I'm Thinking of Ending Things first. There were only about seven or eight people in the audience. One guy got up and left after half an hour. Oh, really? I, <laughs> That's I amazing. That. You make a trip to see a movie theater for the first time in months, and you're like, ah, screw this. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised because I've been hearing people talk about they would be interested to see the drop-off rate of how many people don't make it through the first 20 or 30 minutes. I'm, uh-huh. I'm thinking of ending things. I know, uh, but, but you we'll think to- someone who's going to see it would have like known what they were in for. <laughs> Right. Well, not to get off topic, but I do remember one of my favorite walking out stories is um, I went to see <clears throat> a pitch upon worth of Cool's film, Uncle Boon Me, who can recall his past lives. Palm Door. Winner. Palm Door. Yeah, very critically acclaimed <laughs> film. And it's totally weird and ethereal and dreamlike yes. and slow. And very slow. I, I went to see that in Atlanta about 10 years ago. And my mom and I were sitting in the theater and the film started and I don't think there were like any previews. It was at a university, I think that actually screened it. And, uh, a man came in a few minutes late and he sat down and early in the film, there's a scene where there's a family sitting outside having a meal and slowly a ghost furry ghost monkey with (laughs) With red red eyes. (laughs) Yeah. Appears on the screen. And the man that had come in a few minutes late, he got up, and he walked out and didn't come back in. Like that was it. He <laughs> he stayed. He walked in and was there for about you know five minutes late to the movie. And he sat for about five minutes and then he got up and left. So I'm not shocked necessarily that someone would walk out of. I'm thinking of ending things, but it's surprising in these times that yes. you would think you would <laughs> you know stay through it. But anyway, there were about seven or eight people in the that screening. They had each row sectioned off. And oh, so wow. like, and they told you if you were sitting on a row, you know, sit on a different row, there was like one row where there was two people that you were didn't have to get one. a specific seat. No, they didn't have, spe- they did it tenant. Yeah, I had but, it for tenant uh, also, you had to get yeah. like the row and the seat number. But then I was the right. only person there. So it didn't really matter. And um, I was debating whether to see tenant and imax because i could have seen it at the mall of georgia which is like the biggest imax near me and it's also playing in simpsonville which is like 20 minutes from uh-huh. me but i thought as being a film geek that i would rather see it in 70 millimeter than imax if you if you had two theaters showing imax digital or a big but not imax theater that was really good but showing it in 70 millimeter which would you go to you think you definitely see it in 70 millimeter yeah, yeah, that's how I felt. But I went to see I'm Thinking of Ending Things first. And the, I mean, I've been teaching in person, too, for a, few, a number of weeks. And the mask, especially wearing glasses, is a little uh-huh. annoying. Yes. Glasses fog up and you kind of just get tired of wearing the masks. But I kind of, you know, got over it. And I uh-huh. was just I, I was really happy to be in a movie theater again. It, I, it, it didn't feel that bad i didn't wasn't looking around and i mean there were most other people there were a number of people that 
were eating and like they basically had their mask off the whole time because they were eating the whole time. Oh, it was they one know. of the the meal movie theaters. Yeah, they were having. That's yeah. weird to and, think about because they weren't even serving like concessions at the one that I went to. Well, at Tenet, what they had, it was interesting. They had the entire concession stand curtained off with these big black curtains, and they had a uh, barcode on the seat in front of you so you could swipe your phone and order food and they would bring it to you which is not how that theater operates it's not like wow you know they do that at alma draft house and uh-huh. those dine, dine-in theaters but that's not how that theater is usually but that's how they do it now so people aren't hovering yeah around they don't want lines they don't want everybody right. in the one area yeah and there were about i saw it labor day evening and there were like 15 people in the theater and it's like a really decent size theater really spread out and you know, I didn't feel like I was taking a ridiculous risk. You know, uh-huh. I'm only 28. I'm in reasonably good health. I wore a mask the whole time. I went in and went out. I wasn't, you know, it's like I've been teaching. And obviously, the less you are out in public, the you know, the less likely, you know, it, it's like the more you go out, the more likely you're going to get it. But uh-huh. it's like I thought it was a calculated risk. Well, so. as long I mean, the one worry for me was like the recycled air aspect of it. But the chances of someone in there. If there, like for me, there's no one, but even if there were five people, the likelihood of one of those people having COVID, I think would be pretty low. Did you wear your mask during tenant? I wore it for most of the beginning, about an hour into it. I was like, there's no one else here. So I took it off. But then the masks actually started playing a very important role in it. So in the spirit of the movie, I put my mask back on to participate in the action a little bit. Yeah, I went very, very well dressed because I was wearing my Pier Paolo Pasolini mask ah. with my solo T-shirt. Oh, look at that. Um, dressed to yeah. the occasion. Right. So uh, it felt really good to be walking back into a movie theater. And either, I don't know. Uh, what, I assume you saw it at a multiplex where there are a lot of theaters. Like there weren't many people in the whole theater at all, not just my mm-hmm. auditorium. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, Very the few landmark. employees. I only saw two employees the whole time I was there. Right. So I felt okay, and I was really happy to go see a movie. And I saw two movies. I did a dub. Not, I guess, I don't know what qualifies as a double feature because I had like two and a half hours between the films. I went and met counts As long as it's the same day. Right. So do we want to go into what we actually thought of Tenet? And I I think that one thing we should say is um, I've heard some film critics. What Like, for example, with New Mutants, there were some publications that refused to review the film because the filmmaker, the studio was saying, like, the only way you can see this movie is in a theater. And the publications were like, this is unethical that you're Uh not allowing us to have a link to the film to watch it at home. Therefore, we're not going to review your stupid movie. And I've heard some film critics have been really mad at Warner Brothers and Christopher Nolan that Nolan's like, my movie is so important to see in a movie theater. I'm going to release it no matter what. And I think that like, I have mixed feelings about that. Like if Nolan, he is one of the few giant directors who makes big budget movies and has a lot of clout. He could have told them we're releasing it next summer. Yeah. Or we're, we're waiting till December. And how much of it is him being, full of himself and being like, my movie needs to be seen on the big screen. I'm a big auteur. Well, it was delayed. It was supposed to come out in July. Yeah, but did he, should he have pushed it back even farther? You know? I don't know. You can only push back so far. And it's not like they're forcing people to come out. Um, Yeah, but I, I do think that the other thing I've heard some film critics say is, can you judge the film solely on its merit if he is 
being the way he is. And like, I, I like there are film critics that say like, I'm mad at Christopher Nolan. He's being irresponsible and it's going to clout my judgment of the film if, and when I see it. And like, I've heard some people say like, I, I want to watch Tenet on an iPhone just to be an F you to Christopher Nolan. Like you're being irresponsible. I'm not saying I feel this way entirely, but I do think that it wasn't the most important thing that that tenant had to come out, you know, four months later. It's not like the only movie that came out in theaters. It wasn't yeah. the first movie to come out in theaters. I think New Mutants came out before it. The personal Unhinged. history of David Unhinged, exactly. Yeah, I remember. So I mean, brother... I mean, the movies were going to have to come out eventually. I think that's unfair to, especially to blame him personally, because Warner Brothers, obviously, they were a big part of it, considering they were the people who put up the money for it and were the people who would take a loss if you know it was pirated or if the video on demand sales weren't very good. So I mean, to blame Nolan personally for that is like a little bit misunderstanding who actually makes these decisions. I think. But don't you think he had enough clout that he could have? I think he was okay. I like, don't know because I mean it cost him a lot of money, and they were. I mean they're very invested on it being a July tentpole that would be an IMAX, and you know it would be released worldwide at the same time. So they were a little over the barrel. I mean it's, this was nothing anyone could have foreseen, and obviously yeah. he could have delayed a summer, but who knows? The chances of of a pirated version coming out increase only that much more which is going to directly hit your bottom line so and i think it's a lose-lose situation more than anything and i think if they waited till december it would have been like playing along with dune and i would think exactly very similar you know and it would have much more competition right the new james bond movie i mean mulan came out on disney plus where it was 30 dollars. you had to pay extra to get it and then it's like by the end of the year if you wait, you, you, you get, get it for it free. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Or with it's your like, subscription. I, actually pro- I mean, I actually probably maybe under normal times would have gone to see that in a theater. It got mm-hmm. pretty decent reviews. And the woman who directed Whale Rider uh, directed it. And I've heard a number of people say that it's one of the best, if not the best of the live action Disney films, you know, that may be damning with faint praise. But, <laughs> you know, I like the Jungle Book. I thought Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella was good. I always thought it was funny that John Waters put it as his second favorite film of that year. And he said, I fucking love Cinderella. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's like I'm not against any type of film, but it's it, it, it makes you question these days, like not like what movie would you die to go see? But <laughs> almost yeah. that. I mean, that was like, almost the approach you take. Am I willing to get sick to see this movie? Yeah. Like I was I, like under normal circumstances, I think I would have gone to see the new Bill and Ted film, but I don't feel the urge to go out these days to see it. You yes. Know? Well, and I mean, you would have hoped you would have seen this movie with like an absolutely packed audience. And the, I mean, the circumstances in which you see a movie have a massive impact on how you receive it and how you respond to it. So I mean, I saw it by myself, and I was, I was, I was thrilled by it. It was an incredible experience for me. I think you were a little less enthusiastic uh, upon seeing the movie than I was. Right. Well, do you want to start by praising it and saying what you liked about it? Well, it's, it's like I was saying, the experience has such a big impact on how you receive the movie that I can't tell if I liked it so much because it was just so much fun to be in a movie theater again after seven months, or because the movie itself was you know, the thing that made the experience great, but it was just like seeing it in a movie theater was a testament to like what a whole engrossing experience seeing a movie in a movie theater is where the sound is completely overwhelming and the image just takes up like your whole field of vision that you sort of forget what it's like when you 
haven't been in it for such a long time. Like, that's probably the longest gap in seeing a movie in a theater for me since I was maybe, like, 10 years old. So I'll, I'll have to see it again, like, probably at home to, like, actually judge the film on what it is. But, I mean, it's the most thrilling experience I've had in a movie theater since I can remember. <laughs> I know it wasn't for you, but for me it was. And, I mean, I mean, the movie itself has to be part of that because there's a lot of cool... It's very much like a James Bond movie where there's a lot of different locations and, like, a lot of fancy stuff you're looking at. A lot of stylish things. A lot of people wearing very nice clothes. And just seeing that on, like, a big screen was satisfying enough. I think some people might find it lacking in terms of, like, a cohesive plot. And uh, you don't really know anything about the characters. <laughs> you don't really know too much about the characters' motivation. So in terms of stuff like that, it doesn't really work. But... Just from, like, a thrilling perspective, I mean, it's one of the most fun times I've had in a movie theater in a very, very long time. Well, I did my top ten list. I think we did an episode at the beginning of the year of our top ten films we were most looking forward to. And, you know, half of those movies are not going to be released this year, yes. probably. Um, but I'm thinking of Ending Things was number one for me. But Tenet was in the top ten. I was very excited for it and intrigued. I am not the biggest Christopher Nolan fan. I we did our episode of the directors by decade and you know I like Paul Thomas Anderson, Quentin Tarantino, David Fincher, Kelly Rydark, like of the era that started like at the like from there's like a it's funny that it's like 89 to 99 there's like a big chunk of like some of the best working directors mm -hmm. that Steven came Soderbergh. Out. Steven Soderbergh, David O. Russell and I I really admire some of Christopher Nolan's films, but other ones I, and I don't like to use this word too much, but I think some of them are pretentious and they're self-serious. And my number, my one word review of Tenet, uh, if I had to just put one word would be hooey. It's just a bunch of nonsense. And I think it's self-serious and I, I deeply admire the craft. I love that he said in the press notes that his two and a half hour you know, science fiction uh, action film has less CGI visual effect shots than most romantic comedies these days. Mm -hmm. And I think it's beautifully shot. I think John David Washington gives a really grounded performance that is one of the best things about the film that's so kind of convoluted and, and yes. goes in so many directions. He brings it. <laughs> He's very much the center of it and, and grounds it. Yes. Right. But I just felt like even though it was very lofty and felt like, oh, what is the meaning of this? That the difference is I didn't care what was happening, though. Like there was these philosophical questions about going back and forth in time and the choices you make. But the characters were so underdeveloped and the <laughs> circumstances of the time travel were so uninteresting that I just gave up caring. Mm -hmm. And I just it, it's like you. The this the action scenes I thought got repetitive and the film was over long and people have criticized it and I think it's true like it's hard to understand what characters are saying sometimes with the thundering music and people muttering under masks and there's <sighs> things exploding and the film that's so detailed about the plot and the nuances of it when you can't understand some of the dialogue it's like well come on it's like the it's weird like the movie was so loud it was very loud. But you couldn't understand what they were saying at the same time. Sometimes. Only only sometimes. Most of the time you could hear the dialogue. At least I couldn't have too much of a problem hearing the dialogue. 
I and it, it might just be like my attitude towards movies, but when I don't hear the dialogue, I just go like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, but I, I also was like, I didn't really care at a certain point. It's like, it's basically they're going back and forth in time. And the other problem I had was, I think that Nolan seems, and I, I genuinely think he's a, one of the most intelligent, thoughtful directors we have. He sounds like a professor of cinema. Yes. But I think a lot of his films, they have this pretension to them, but at their heart, they're these kind of dumb 12 year old boy movies where like things explode and like oh what if a bunch of guys with guns ran into an opera house and then we blew it up and like what if like there was a guy fighting a guy but it was like backwards and like it was in t- it's it's silly it's just and it, he, he treats it so seriously like it's this great philosophical quandary but it's just basically an excuse for him to blow up shit real big and and he does it really well he does it extremely well (laughs) but but, but i don't care and it's not it doesn't mean anything i I, I didn't mind not caring i guess is the thing for me but that might have just been the excitement of being in a movie theater again was a huge part of that i think the problem though is that he has he's pretentious and that he 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 acts like it's so important that when even though it is thrilling and the set pieces are well done sometimes uh-huh. the fact that there's this self-seriousness to it i'm like just it's like, like 2001 oh, or something on. like that yeah and it's basically a james bond movie you know mixed with looper you know pretty much and, yeah i just i just think that it got repetitive like the last act really dragged the last and, act was not great as much I think, as i liked it the last half hour it was like one team going forward to one team going back and i was like what are we trying to achieve <laughs> I don't know who these people are. <laughs> the other thing that I think is problematic about the movie, it's just annoying, is that the, I don't think the fight scenes are all that See, I thought they were, though. I thought, I mean, I, that just comes down to, I guess, personal. I mean, I've been watching a lot of action movies recently, and I thought this was, like, worked really well as an action movie. And but I, like most, I of his, like... most of his don't. I mean, they're more about, like, the idea like even the one standout set piece action scene in Inception is one where the like corridor is turning over. Like that's an incredible action scene, but he doesn't have too many other really amazing action scenes. I mean, the Dark Knight is like the truck flip is huge, but that's not like hand to hand combat or anything like thing like that. So as far as like hand to hand combat action scenes, this I thought was like by far the best he's done. But I think I, I was saying before that 90 years ago, Buster Keaton would have been more inventive and yeah. cinematically graceful. I feel like, you know, there's not because the film is so serious about itself. The action scenes, they aren't fun enough. They they don't have this kind of cinematic bravado. Like, it's kind of cool when you see a guy like scuffling along the floor backwards and whoop, popping back up. You think there should have been more the- quips? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not saying the film should have been funnier, but it shouldn't have been so ponderous. And uh-huh. it, it, it's just like the dun, 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 dun. it's just this kind of so boy. I thought, I thought Robert Pattinson brought a lot of the stuff you were sort of looking for. Like he was sort of knowing, winking at the audience, had some really good lines. I mean, he steals most of the scenes that he's in because John David Washington is sort of like a blank slate for a lot of the movie where like well, he doesn't know what's happening and he's sort of the stand in. And figure well, stuff as the movie goes along. I know the film is going to be PG-13, but I was thinking when those fight scenes happen, imagine the first 20 minutes of the third John Wick film backwards. That's what I 
was hoping like it would be this you know in the third one when they're in the it's like the museum of weapons and he just, <laughs> he's just like just throwing knives at everybody <laughs> yeah and like i know that it couldn't be too graphic but the, like in john wick chapter three early in the film in Times Square, there is Buster Keaton on uh-huh. one of the screens. Like there, no, that's it, in the second can, one, actually. I think. The thir- I'm pretty sure. It's, well, the third one has the knife where they're th- they're fighting and they're uh-huh. smashing into the. But anyway, there at least one of the films has Buster. I'm pretty sure it's the third one. But there's Buster Keaton shown on screen in one of the screens in Times Square. But there, even though John Wick is extremely graphic and violent and bloody th- there is a humor to it there is a, a a ballet to it there is a john woo you know it's like fred astaire and ginger rogers but with like knives and you know people being smashed in the skull and i'm not saying that tenant had to be this like graphic violent in the way john wick is but there wasn't enough kind of visual poetry and dance to it musicality to it it just was like this thundering boom 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 we're gonna shoot the bullets back it just it was childish <laughs> to me i thought it was that's the thing it's like the movie has this pretension of being all oh, this lofty intellectual cerebral you know exploration but at at its heart i think it's just kind of juvenile and i don't think those things like you can be cerebral and, and you know fun. Aspire, yeah and fun but i feel like the film is so takes itself so seriously that the even the fight scenes have this have there's this heaviness to it and there's not enough grace to the fight scene and i'm not saying they have to be like nice like the john wick scenes are really violent uh-huh. but there's like they're like dancing yes balletic yeah and i just felt like they he didn't the core idea of the film of like people going forward and backward in time like the fight scenes he didn't they weren't as good as they should have been that's fair. But I do like I do like the plane blowing up. Like that's cool. I mean, <laughs> there were good moments, right? Would you recommend yeah, I mean, someone to see it? I would say that I was I had a great day at the movie theater. I absolutely, and it was a part of that. <laughs> I was absolutely glad that I went to see it. But this is the thing: my favorite thing in life is sleeping. But my second favorite <laughs> thing, my second favorite thing, is sitting in a really big movie theater watching a film on a really big screen on film with a big audience, as long as they're quiet and respectful and not on their phones. <laughs> and even though there were only about 15 people in the theater, like that was the first time I had done that. Like that was the first time I had seen a movie on film probably in uh, almost exactly a year. I think the last time I saw a film on film was when I went up to the New York Film Festival last year. And uh, the day before it started, I saw Casino and 35 millimeter. So it's been almost a full year since I'd actually seen a film on film. So I, greatly like i would rather sit and see a movie i hate i didn't hate tenant but i would rather sit in a movie theater on a big screen watching a film on film and really dislike the movie than almost anything else yeah like i would rather go see an awful movie on a massive screen on film than like go see the world's best play or ever go to a sporting event i mean i like theater but like i would rather see a terrible film than go see the best play and you know i just i i i'm and I don't hate the film. Like I would give it like two and a half out of five. Yeah. I admire, you can't say I, it's bad. No, like, I do it, think it's, a, I, I think it's, a, I think it's Nolan's weakest film. Yeah. But Nolan's weakest is like, you know, well, I, I better I, than like your a, average, at least. Yeah. But a third of his movies, I would give thumbs down to though. Really? Yeah. Insomnia, interstellar, 
this one, The Dark Knight Rises, I was I would not I don't know if I'd give a thumbs up. Like the oh, Dark man. Knight Bane is such an iconic character at this point though. Well, one thing I should say though is I've seen all of Nolan's films. You've seen all of them except the first one following, but I've only seen them once. Uh-huh. And I was telling you before, like I'm one of the weird people that I think the prestige is his best film. Um, and I really like Memento. I really like the dark Knight, one of the best comic book films ever, but I, and I know his movies are ones that like you really should rewatch, especially something like Memento and Inception. Uh-huh. But I didn't, I'm not the person that sees the dark Knight and goes like, Oh, I have to watch this 20 times, uh-huh. you know, once every six months. I'm like, it's, I saw it. And like, I don't mind rewatching it. It's been over a decade now since it came out 12 years. I just, that his movies are not, I think the problem I have is that he's, he's so original and inventive and he's such a master of cinema that I wish his films, like I remember when, a little more original. Yeah. I, I remember one film critic said about inception that he wishes he would let his freak flag fly a little higher. And I, I, I like, I, he's I like very conservative at the end of the day. And his like method. Like, yeah, very throwback to, like, Hitchcock sort of style. But like, with, with I, all I, the psychological hangups that Hitchcock had. I know. It's like, I, I, I imagine, what if David Lynch was given $150, $200 million to make his version of Inception? What if Kubrick was still alive and could make, you know, with all the technology we have now, his interstellar? And it's not fair to say, like, oh, if this director, you know, why doesn't he make films like these other directors? But he references these directors. Uh-huh. Like he you know, especially Kubrick, yes. I feel like he fails sometimes. So I definitely, if you feel comfortable enough, without question, I mean, Nolan is a director worth seeing his films. I just, this one left me kind of cold and I was mm-hmm. kind of, I thought it was over long and it's a slog. And I had a good time. <laughs> I had a good time sitting in the theater watching it, but I didn't like the film itself very much. That's fair. We can, and you were, you were you you really like the theater experience and you like the movie uh, very like where would you rank it if you had to rank all of his films like I don't know he's done about ten now or something yes uh, I mean I'd put it like around the middle it's like one of the mid tier movies uh like it's you know around like Dark Knight Rises I think Memento what stands what are your out top t- what are your top three Mo- you the to top rank? three would be Memento the Prestige and the Dark Knight. Dunkirk yeah, probably at four. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the, I think we're in agreement, like, like the ones we like the best. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, yeah. So that that's how I feel about Tenant. <laughs> so we can move on to the one I did not see in theaters, but you did. I'm thinking of ending things now released on Netflix. Charlie Kaufman, written and directed by him, most well known as a writer of movies like uh, <laughs> Being John Malkovich adaptation he did eternal sunshine and spotless mind right yes won an oscar for it yes so very neurotic sort of filmmaker you are a huge fan of his this was the first movie you saw in theaters right right i saw the films on the same day but technically that was the first film i saw and i think we should go ahead and say that we are going to be very spoilery with this film we are going to talk about it in full because it's on netflix as long as you have netflix all of you can watch it now and even more than Tenet, I feel like I'm thinking of ending things is really almost impossible to talk about and critique in any way that would be worthy, you know, worthwhile. If we well, don't, and I don't think spoiling it. it ruins it to an extent. I think because it's still such a mysterious, dense, complex text that like 
giving away spoilers for it, I think will maybe even just make it more intriguing to see because you're like, whoa, it's all, <laughs> what's going on there? It's also like, well, you know, the custodian is also it's like it does, it won't make any sense if you haven't seen the movie. That's true. So it's like <laughs> it, it's like I mean, my mom said it doesn't make any sense anyway. But um, so well, this is based on a book. You have read the book. Yes, I have uh, not. I, and I recommend reading the novel. It's one thing; it's good, but also uh, it helps you better understand what the hell's going on in the film. Would you say uh, it's a faithful adaptation? Yes and no. In interviews, he famously did the film adaptation, which, if anyone doesn't know, he had written J- being John Malkovich, and it was critically acclaimed. He got Oscar nominated for it, and he was hired to adapt an actual book called The Orchid Thief, mm-hmm. written by Susan Orlean. And he had such writer's block, and he wanted to be so faithful to this uh, book that was, you know, not plot heavy. It was very beautiful and poetic, and so he had such a hard time not putting in conventional dramatic. Uh, you know, car chases and sex and drugs, it, which all ends up actually being in the movie <laughs> because what he did was he wrote a screenplay about him not being able to write the screenplay. Or about he creates not an, being able to... a twin brother who doesn't exist. <laughs> right. So it, there are, are actually a number of connections to his previous works. And I recommend I, I really liked I'm thinking of ending things, but I would not recommend it if you had never seen another film written and or directed by Charlie Kaufman. It's not a great gateway, you know, start with this movie. But the basic premise of I'm thinking of ending things, uh, the novel and the film are pretty much the same. Like there are a lot of similarities. It follows the basic plot. There's a car ride. (laughs) Yeah. There's the one reason he wanted to make the film, make this into a film is that he had, he's only directed two films this uh, in 12 years. This is his third film. And he, it's so infuriating to me that one of the most brilliant minds in cinema has had such a hard time making films. Like he's had really incredible cast lined up to make movies and he shot a pilot for FX. He's had TV deals. He's tried to make movie after movie and Hollywood won't make them for like a medium sized budget. Mm-hmm. But he, he found this novel and he was actively looking to adapt something that he thought that he could do. And he said, well, this is a source material. So there's an, you know, name to it. And it's kind of, the novel is even more so like thriller bordering on horror. And he said that there's basically four characters and three locations. I think I could do this. So he went to Netflix <laughs> and they let him do it. The basic premise is that there's a young couple, a man and a woman, and they're driving in the snowy out, you know, out in the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma. And they're driving to visit his parents who she has never seen. Mm-hmm. And in uh, narration, she says that they've been dating for about six weeks or she's not really sure how long they've been dating. Mm-hmm. And they drive out to the farmhouse where his parents live. And that's the basic premise. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to give too, well, I mean, we're going to spoil it, but that, that is, <laughs> we'll spoil it as we continue to talk. <laughs> right. So, Basically, the film has a lot to say about identity and also about it. I think it's a very meta film, the way adaptation and synecdoche in New York are there. It's a film about how we construct meaning in our life and personas and how we pull from film and theater. Oh, everything. Really? Yeah. We pull from everything like art, but also pass other people's ideas off as our own. Right. And so we uh, I mean, spoiler alert, basically, there is no young woman Uh and we don't know if there are any parents, (laughs) at least anymore. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. In the novel, it's made more concrete that this man is uh, saw this young woman at a bar and had a brief confrontation. The young man who's played by Jesse Fleming is in the movie. Yeah. And what's an interesting thing, too, I don't think it was intentional on Kaufman's fault uh, part, but the two leads in the film are both named Jamie. Different spellings. Jesse. Yeah. Je- no. Uh, wait, what did I say? Jesse. You said Jamie. Je- no, it's Jesse Buckley and Jesse Clemens. Yes, yes. Yeah. They have the same first name, I'm saying. No, you said Jamie, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, well, that's an interesting point, too. The actress, <laughs> uh, her character, her the character's name changes throughout the film. Yeah, it's like Lucy, Louisa, yeah. Lucia. Right, right. So, um, you know, Jamie Buckley is another actor, right? Actress. I don't know. Ted, Ted, yeah, Ted I don't know. <laughs> but this is, film is very convoluted anyway. So, uh, but basically, I think the film is about identity and how we take not just art, but you know, how we experience life, we hear things, we see things, and we construct meaning in our life and personas. And um, I'm rambling, but what did you think? (laughs) Well, I liked it. I I don't know if I necessarily thought I was going to like it. Um, I thought I, this, did, do you think he wanted it to be a twist? No, he said in interviews that he didn't want the film to hinge on be like, oh, this is a twist movie. Because I feel and like from the beginning, you could sort of tell that the only person who was like real was Jesse Plemons because like he's like reading her mind in the car. So like when it came to like the oh, she's not a real person, that wasn't really like a big surprise. And I think it failed a little bit as a thriller because of that. Like I think it could have been scarier i think it could have worked better as a horror movie but i don't know if he really was trying to make a horror movie you yeah, think th- he was I, trying to make a thriller i think he was playing with those conventions but he was not made the like i was saying the novel is more of a uh, yeah thriller, it becomes page yeah, turner like, kind of thing like they're running through like the oh what's in the thing. basement are these parents yeah. real because i never really thought any of it was real so it never really felt scary um, well, it's more psychologically disturbing yes. and depressing. <laughs> uh, Pessimistic. Right. And so in the novel, so basically there in the film you see early on, there is this overweight, elderly. Well, it starts custodian. off with like the girl on the sidewalk. And is the first narration she says, I'm thinking of anything. So does she say that before she gets in the car? Well, we're, we're seeing shots of wallpaper. And we're, but then well, we're we see seeing the like a guy in an apartment who looks down and sees the girl. And the girl looks up at I know. the guy in the apartment. It's the custodian. Yeah. And yeah. so from then, you're like, okay, this guy, obviously. <laughs> it's This okay. guy is a main character. <laughs> okay. So basically, people are like, what are you talking about, custodian? Okay. Uh-huh. So the basic is these. The whole movie is like a dream of a crazy custodian on a freezing night in Oklahoma in an indeterminate time period. And he's sort right. of creating this fantasy of going, taking a girl to meet his parents when he was much younger. Right. Basically, Jesse Plemons is the custodian, and we're supposed to assume that he has been around for decades. And that just just being a custodian in the same town, seeing people grow up, having a lot of ideas, but never acting on any of the ideas, reading a lot of stuff, being interested in a whole lot of stuff, but never communicating that to anybody. Just generally a very sad person. <laughs> Right. So we're, we, you see throughout the first part of the film flashes and brief scenes with this custodian. You're like, who is he? Who is this guy? It's like looking but, at the, the girls performing Oklahoma at the school play and right. stuff like that. Listen, yeah. Watching a movie while he's eating dinner. 
And one of the first times that besides him looking out the window that do you remember you noticed that when she, uh, the female character goes down to the basement and goes to the washing machine, she pulls out his uniform and the washer. Oh, I didn't realize that. Right. <laughs> That's a good touch. Yeah. <laughs> That's why he and didn't so, want her to go down there. <laughs> right. And so the, and he becomes more overt in the, the last section of the yes. film where she, uh, they, after they go the, to the high young, school. Yeah. The, the young couple have visited, his parents, they've stopped at a place to get uh, a dessert and then they want to throw away the cups. The boy does. And they go to the high school and she's not coming back to the car and she wanders into the high school. And now there's this old custodian and you start to realize that there was never a woman, uh-huh. that it was just a construction by, uh, you know, made by this older custodian. And that actually that Jesse Plymouth as a young man, that this probably happened with a young woman yes. years ago, or that never happened, you know, and he's, you know, in the novel, it makes it clear that he met her at a bar and they had a brief, you know, encounter saying hello to each other, but mm-hmm. that was it. They never even went on one date. And mm-hmm. in, in that this whole trip to visit the parents is a construction in his head. That it's th- like this the, is, that it, part in Citizen Kane where he sees the girl on the boat 50 years ago and he thinks about her every day. Right. Sort of like that. And, yeah, and I, I think that the film is not like I would not call this a horror film. I would call it a drama, no. psychological thriller. But, but I also think kind of a comedy. Dark humor in parts of it. But I think this is the first film of his I would not call a comedy. A I think funny it has dark, movie. Yeah. There well, the, when the parents come in, it's very quirky and unsettling, yes. but it, also funny. I think that it's very important to pay attention to this film. One good thing about it being on Netflix is that you can rewind and go back and watch it a second time right away. I watched because, it with subtitles on. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of moments in the film from scene to scene where hairstyles change mm-hmm. or the costumes or the wallpaper or what's on the table. The food keeps changing. There are mm-hmm. little things. And also you need to pay attention to how the characters act because, for example, when the young couple get to the house for the first time and they're introduced, uh, she's int- the woman is introduced to the parents – that Jesse Plemons character barely speaks for like 15 minutes mm-hmm. and he's very much contained. And the, the young woman starts acting like she knows the parents and, you know, she's carrying on and she's talking about her life and it's just very awkward. So it's always very important to pay attention to like whose identity, whose point of view is this? How are the characters relating to each other? Mm-hmm. It's one you really want to pay, you know, it's it's a little over two hours long. It's like two hours and 14 minutes, I think. you got to put the phone on silent, watch it in darkness, lights off, not doing anything else, and like really focus on it because the mind messes with your head. And after, you know, about 45 minutes, it really gets trippy and like uh-huh. time really starts shifting. <laughs> and then after two hours it gets very trippy <laughs> yeah but the... as like confounding and confusing as it may sound it actually i found it to be actually a pretty entertaining movie like i was never like bored by it even though it was only like three different settings and really only four yeah. actors and for most of the time really only two actors jesse Plemons and jesse buckley um right but it, it like worked it was like very engaging it was a really good script uh, it's very well shot, and as like pessimistic and sad as it is, it, there are parts that are very, very funny. And uh, but I don't know. Mostly, it just seemed like so much of Charlie Kaufman's personal hangups that he's just like trying to get off his chest. It was a lot like a <laughs> like a therapy session. 
Yeah. And well, by, I, the way, by the end of it, I was just like, Charlie Kaufman must be a very, very sad person. Because, I mean, it seemed to me like he was having a sort of crisis where he's like, has anything I'm written been original? Or is everything I'm written just influenced by stuff other people have done? Did you get that sense from it? That it was a sort well, of like crisis of originality on his part? Well, I mean, m- musicians have talked about there's only so many notes, but there's infinite number of ways you can arrange those notes. It's like that's what art is, is that, you know, there's so many colors. There's so many, you know, ways you can tell, you know, there's. So like, you think ultimately before, it's not completely pessimistic? Well, I. Because <laughs> like I think if it is completely pessimistic, then what was the point of it besides just being an extended therapy session on Charlie Kaufman's behalf? Well, I don't think that he's totally pessimistic. I think it's an exploration and it makes you think about how, like, I think part of it is the way people are manipulated by media like films. There's this romantic comedy in the film and you see how another example is that there is a volume of Pauline Kael reviews Mm -hmm. in the young man's bedroom, his childhood bedroom. And in one of the car rides on the car ride after they've met the parents, the young woman starts going into this review of John where he's Cassidy's like i like the movie it was a good movie uh, well, and she's uh, like oh. <laughs> well the movie's a, a woman uh, john cassavetti is a woman under the influence yes and and she does not say this but she's actually verbatim quoting pauline kale's review but sort and, of like as a response to his sort of basic criticism she like one-ups him and he's like oh i guess you know i didn't know as much about it as i thought i did Right. And, and Kaufman has said in interviews how you can really love a work of art and then you hear someone just have this savage takedown. It makes you question like, oh, was I wrong about liking this? Um, and See, yeah, but I never really experienced that. I think it's just Charlie Kaufman has a very different way of seeing things than I do. That it was like well, he was so concerned with like originality that I was like, come on, like nobody's that original. And he's just like well, I, so hung up on stuff like that the Pauline Carroll view and like seeing and uh, attributing the painting where she's like it's putting interiority and in other things and it ends up being somebody else's paintings like I think that was a big part of it like he sort of is the Jesse Plemons trying to paint but he feels like he's failing but it's like you're not failing Charlie Coffin you're one of the great living screenwriters right well yeah I mean he, he's done many films that are incredibly critically acclaimed multiple Oscar nominations but at the same time I think he was stung by Synecdoche New York this movie he put his heart and soul into and it got some really like Roger Ebert is with me that it was the best film of that decade it got some amazing reviews but then there's other people like well I never liked Rex Reed but he said that Synecdoche New York isn't the worst film ever made it just seems like it <laughs> and he said that it would be hard not to take that very hard well, he said that he's okay with people not liking his films and thinking that they don't work or they're not enjoying them. He says, that's fine. You can have an opinion. But he said that when you put your heart and soul into something that is trying to be meaningful and has you know, artistic value, just to shit on it and be so violently angry about it, you know, it's like you can do that if something's like a, an empty piece of junk that's trying to just make money, like an empty Hollywood product, like a romantic comedy or a comic book movie. But if you're making something, you know, you can say it fails, but just to dismiss it to the point where you're like, oh, this, you know, this is just garbage and I hate it and it's worthless. It's like, no, it's like you can critique it and be, you know, have problems with it. But he thinks that uh, people often put too much praise into, 
you know, empty stuff and it's actually dangerous. Like he talked about in Internal Sunshine, how he thinks that there are a lot of romantic comedies are like actually really like bad for society, how they really manipulate our ideas of romance and love and relationships. And they've really liked warped. He said almost more than like the way pornography does, like the romantic comedies have really damaged how we view we love and like that's the power of media i think that's part of the thing the film is exploring is how media and art can really manipulate uh our view of the world and how we act well in the words of Vikovelsky, <laughs> that's just like your opinion man see but charlie coffin seems to think these things are so bad but who is charlie coffin to say these things i think i don't know he comes across as you talk about pretentious for christopher nolan Charlie Coffin comes across as pretentious. Like, just because you put a lot of idea into something doesn't mean those ideas are correct. You see, he has, to me, he has, the like, the brain more of a scientist than an artist. You know what I mean by that? Well, no, I think he's certainly an artist. Well, it's not he... to say that he's not an artist, but, like, he's just very analytical about everything no but see that's how i feel about nolan is he's like oh we're going back and forth in time and i think his movies are often too cold and clinical and then they're just juvenile at the same time because they they're not very interesting questions and i think that kaufman is actually like yeah he's proposing a lot of really deep things you know difficult things but to me they're interesting and he explores them in a really artistically sound and provocative way and they're funny and they're disturbing and they're incredibly well acted and they like his like i'm thinking of ending things as such a small film compared to tenant but i was much more engaged and cared about the characters and was thinking about that movie much longer than tenant I've, I, I'm thinking of ending things like actually has something to say. I'm not saying that Tenet is an empty film, but I feel like what it's trying to say is not all that interesting. And I was just kind of, I just felt like it was, it, its ideas were not very interesting. And I'm thinking of ending thing, you know, it, it, it provoked my thoughts more. It's sort of the perfect Charlie Coffin movie because sort of like Wes Anderson, all of the characters speak like Charlie Kaufman. And the fact that all of the characters are adventures of one character made that work very well in this movie. But the performances were very good all around. Oh, yeah. Jesse Plemons was actually pretty revelatory. And I had seen Jesse Buckley in like the War and Peace BBC adaptation, but I had not seen her in really anything else. She was in a movie where she played like an English country singer recently that uh... was really good. Yeah, I, I just watched that like a week or two before I saw the movie because I wanted to watch something else. And I had seen a movie she was in, and it's the film that Charlie Kaufman saw when someone recommended that he look at her for the lead role, a movie called Beast, which she's very yeah. good in. Um, but yeah, I've yeah I it's it I've only seen it once so far, and I cannot say that I completely understand everything that happened in it. But um, I just admire Charlie Kaufman so much for being so... Yeah, I'll say this. It's not his most entertaining movie. It's certainly one of the ones where he it's like being John Malkovich and adaptation and eternal sunshine. Like they're really fun. Like they're cerebral and they're complex, but they're fun movies. I'm thinking of any things I do think is fun, but I think it is almost his most cerebral film. It's his film that you it's most definitely, have. It's like most interior looking. Would you say that? Right. Yeah. Sort of I like mean, how her was for Spike Jones. 
Well, I mean, it's a lot. I mean, almost the whole film is people like in a car or in a farmhouse or, you know, talking, you know, and there's long extended <laughs> scenes. And, you know, the way he shot it, the all the car scenes were done with green screen and that they would do each shot like for 20 straight minutes. And they did it like 20 times with every like the, to do every camera setup, like he would That's shoot the whole car ride for 20 straight minutes and then they would do it from a different angle and they would do the whole scene. And you notice that most of the car scenes just adds to the fact just the editing's really well done in the film that when you have the the couple very rarely are they on screen at the same time they're often in the car even though they're just stuck in the car it cuts back and forth between the two of them uh-huh. and when they are he's like sometimes he's like reading her mind like through the same right. brain but yeah i don't i just got my like takeaway from charlie coffin in this movie is he is someone who at the same time, thinks very highly of himself, but also thinks that he's worthless. <laughs> well, I mean, that's part of the thing about adaptation is that he's failing, and that. But but what's interesting is like by him failing at he's making succeeding. great art, he's making art. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. It, it's like he makes great art. He, he, you know, it's a a lot of his movies are about failed artists, and by making films about failed artists, he is making really great art in the process like synecdoche new york is all about this man trying to put on this massive theater piece that goes on for years and years and it's a play within a play and like he's isn't he isn't able to do it but by making the film charlie kaufman is creating a really great expansive work of art you know so it's his films are always meta they're about film they're about art so you know this must sound like a bunch of nonsense if you haven't seen the film and even if you have seen the film it might sound like a bunch of nonsense but uh i certainly recommend seeing it and it's i recommend reading the novel first and i also recommend watching at least uh, a few of his other films i wouldn't start with this one but i was really engaged already have his other ones available for streaming do you know that well i'm I'm sure that like they're all available on amazon prime to rent it if you want to rent it yeah but um, yeah, I mean, Synecdoche, New York, I think is a masterpiece. I think it's the best film of the of that decade. But it's certainly one of his most divisive films because it's so like I remember the comedian Mark Maron was saying that eight hours into it, I was like, what is happening? <laughs> and he had Tony Collette on his podcast recently. And he basically, we haven't really talked about her or David Thewlis yet. Yeah, well, as I say, Mark Maron had her on his podcast just recently, and he basically spent 10 minutes of the interviewer like yelling at her you're like what does the movie mean like I, he was like angry at the movie because he said like he was like oh this know- one yeah yeah he was like <laughs> he said i know charlie kaufman's a genius i don't deny that but he makes me feel stupid and i don't understand his movie <laughs> it's like he was just like so, <laughs> it seems like charlie kaufman has that same worry by like what happens in the movie that he feels like he's stupid and other people know more well, he had on Yorgos Lanthimos and Paul Thomas Anderson on his podcast, Marin, and he also was the was with them. Like, okay, you're gonna need to explain your movie to me. I don't, and like a lot of those directors, you know, like David Lynch, they're not going to explain it. Charlie Kaufman said that, you know, like I don't want to give answers. Like every person's interpretation is valid. Like what you say about the film is right. I mean, David Lynch has said before, and I agree that like cinema is its own language, and that when you take the experience of cinema sitting and watching a film over a duration of time, the images and sound, like if you take that and put it into words, it's not going to be the same thing. Uh-huh. It's like the movie makes sense to you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's why yeah. I don't, I'm, people get too hung up on like, what did the movie mean? Oh, is there like a meaning to this movie? It's like, it's just what you take for the movie and how you experience it. There is there like one meaning. 
And it's like dream logic. It's like when you're asleep and you're having a dream, it makes sense. And then you wake up and like, wait, why did I not have feet? When, when if I was there was like an ultimate answer, it wouldn't be that interesting. If there was like, well, yeah. oh, I figured it out. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's it, it's the I mean, this is pretentious to say this, but I remember Godard one time said something along the lines of, you know, cinema is the train, not the station. I, I agree you with know? that. It's, it's like David Lynch said before that, like in mystery films to him, the most interesting part is like halfway through the movie where, you know, some information, but you haven't solved it. And it's the mystery. It's like getting to know the answer and like dot, 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 like everything is tied up. It's like, that's not so interesting. Yes. I mean, that's why what he often does is he has a film and it's intriguing and he gives you some answers and then it just goes really fucking weird and it doesn't make sense <laughs> yeah. and he doesn't tie it up, but he lets you tie it up. That's well, the that, thing. That's like the thing about a lot of film noir movies are like great for the first hour, but then when they try to wrap everything up, it just like loses everything. And it's like, you should have just stayed with it being a little more mysterious. Yeah. I mean, it's the mystery that is what's intriguing. And I think that I'm thinking of ending things as like, yeah, I think pretty much like if you had to, you know, it's a sled, she's a he, you know, he's a ghost. Like if you had to do it like that, <laughs> it's basically Jesse Plemons is uh, Probably going to kill himself uh, as an old man. <laughs> and this yeah. is sort of his like dying hallucination as he wanders yeah, well, naked through his high yeah. school. <laughs> yeah, basically that Jesse Plemons and the old janitor are the same person and that he Jesse is Buckley was never real. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's basically the explanation. And then we should mention too, it, uh, it's weird that the movie is almost a music dance film because there's this beautiful dance scene you know like where the novel turns into like kind of a horror novel it this film turns into a dance film uh with this beautiful ballet scene and yes, then there's with sort uh, of like heightened more attractive versions of the characters right and also <laughs> uh the there, there's the use of oklahoma in the film yes and this really weird scene where he's it's like a mix of the high school performance of oklahoma with him winning a Nobel prize and, and like the end of an American in Paris. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It, yeah. But it's also a beautiful mind where he verbatim takes the in speech and there's all these people. Well, his loving age. wife looks on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but that just made me like when you had the nude old janitor walking through the high school after maggot infested animated pig. And then there's this scene where he's having a Nobel prize acceptance speech on a stage. that's also a high school production, Oklahoma. And there's all these people in the audience with old age makeup that look like they're in a high school production. Like, Oh, this is, this is cinema. This is great cinema. <laughs> I, I, Cause like there, no one, no one else is doing this, you know? No, no, one no, no one really is. Yeah. I mean, but, how do you think it worked as a Netflix movie? I know you saw it in the theaters, but could, do you see this as a movie? People are going to be like, Oh, I'm thinking of anything. So let's stream this tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that it for for adventurous movie goers, it's it'll be under the cerebral category. I just I think the main thing, yeah, I think the main thing that people should not do is go into it thinking it's a horror film, which it yeah. was almost like advertised as. Yes, it was. The, like the not. the meeting with the parents was very hyped up in the trailer, and yeah. it being and, sort of like Get Out, where like the parents, so what are the parents up to something? <laughs> right. And and Kaufman made the point that he did not cast Tony Collette because of hereditary. Mm -hmm. Like some people would think like, oh, because, you know, and she like she actually has a she I mean, it's like sometimes actors are only actually in a few of a certain type of genre, but they're so well known. She was in The Sixth Sense. Uh -huh. She's in hereditary that, you know, people might get the idea that this is a horror film. Uh -huh. I mean, I th I think it's one of those films that plays it dances around being a horror film, but I would just call it a drama. Uses some of the tropes 
and sort of yeah. acknowledges that in the movie. Like Jesse Plemons is sort of like indicating the basement isn't somewhere you should go. Right. And Jesse Buckley's yeah. like, ooh, the basement. I've seen this in movies before. Yeah. Well, and you <laughs> like I don't know that I would call Black Swan a horror film, but it dance it plays, no pun intended, it dances around being a horror film. <laughs> that right? has some more scary moments. Like when like the she like the mirror looks at her. There's nothing like that, and I'm thinking of ending things. That's like sort of a jump scare. Right. Well, I, I think it's an interesting point to make that Synecdoche, New York started as a horror film, that Spike oh. Jones was going to direct a movie written by Charlie Kaufman, Spike Jones directed, being John Malkovich, an adaptation, uh-huh. and that what happened was they were thinking, what actually scares us? And it's aging faster than you realize, your children growing up faster than you realize, having cancer, your you know things like that. That's... You know, someone running around with a ski mask and a machete and zombies, that's not scary. Like, you know, you know, like there's a part where Philip Seymour Hoffman's character urinates and there's blood in his urine. Like, that's scary. Uh Zombies not scary. There's a little bit of the the fast aging in this movie with the the parents and taking care of aging parents. That was something I did not expect. The whole we got to stay in the house because, you know, my parents are dying thing. I was like, oh, I didn't think that was going to be in this movie. Well, but. this is kind of a de- de- defeating the point because we've already like spoiled the movie totally. But I would say I would highly recommend people, you know, I think it's good to read the novel, but don't watch the trailer for this film. I'm actually I didn't watch the trailer for the film. And I'm really glad I didn't because I didn't know I read the novel, but like the dance number is not in the novel mm-hmm. and the aging is not in the novel. Oh, really? Know? Yeah, it's not made. That was just know, more of his personal the, hangouts. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so the, like I, I went into the film not knowing that there was going to be a dance number or like what things looked like. I didn't mm-hmm. know that like, oh, Tony Collette's going to be like young and then old. And I, I'm glad I went in not knowing that even ha- even though I read the novel, I didn't know how he was going to visualize it. No, so, I, I sort uh, of felt the same way until I saw the trailer. I did watch the trailer. <laughs> yeah, but I also feel like I, I knew not to because I Synecdoche, New York gives away a major thing in the trailer. Oh, really? I was like, why did they give it away? Like there's something that was probably like a difficult movie to market. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he was on uh, Stephen Colbert uh, on his old Colbert show, and he was asked to like explain like the basic premise of the movie. And, um, you know, it's funny that Stephen Colbert and Charlie Kaufman were two of the writers of the very short run Dana Carvey show, which had like an insane writer's room. It was like Chris Rock and Louis C.K. and, you know, Charlie Kaufman and Stephen Colbert and Steve Carell. Wow. And, you know, it ran six episodes. It's like the first skit was uh, Dana Carvey playing Bill Clinton breastfeeding puppies with six nipples. And like they were like, <laughs> I can see yeah. why it only lasted six episodes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, well, we yeah, can so finish I, I, with. Did you think the guy killed himself? <laughs> I. Because I, I think well, ostensibly the, I'm thinking of ending things. Initially, we think it's the girl talking about breaking up with the boy. Right. But I think ultimately it's like I'm thinking of ending everything. Because they mention uh, – who's the writer that killed himself? Oh, uh, David Foster Wallace. David Foster Wallace. Yeah. And they sort of like talk about how suicide becomes the narrative. So right. it becomes a little preoccupied with suicide at parts in it. What also becomes meta in the sense of like once you realize that the custodians actually – the person or it's like it you know he's actually this old it's like he's killed jesse plemons like, or like yeah he's not that's true <laughs> the so, boy is uh, dead that was just yeah. the old man 
Yeah. Well, I mean, at the the last transition in the film is pretty interesting where like he's singing on the stage and then it like becomes like this what is it like bright blue and it transitions to the sky mm-hmm. and the and you see the car car sitting outside with snow collecting on it mm-hmm. and like it's the young couple's car, right? So, but yeah, you know, or is it the truck? I think and it's, it's the like, truck. Yeah, so like, well, if it's the truck, then like, did he kill himself? And that's why there's all this snow on it. And they're going to come back to school and they're going to find there's this body. There's going to be a dead janitor who's naked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. that's what happens. <laughs> yeah, but it's also the sense that, uh, well, in the novel, um, it's, it's yeah, it's it's not. The the thing in the novel, too, is that there are, the chapters are broken up. The, bro- the way the book is broken up, there will be like a page or two of two unidentified people talking about a crime that's happened. Oh. And they're like, you know, oh, we thought, you know, he was this nice man and he, uh, you know, it's never made concrete what happens, but basically it's these two, it's like in a, you know. Sort of like a Jillian Flynn type Gone Girl thing. Well, yeah. Sharp objects. Oh, something bad happened. Right. And it's it's like, a, I don't know what it would be a, a, a reference. You know, it, well, I guess that but it's like people are it, two people are carrying on a conversation that we don't know the context of. But by mm-hmm. hearing the snippets, like we're piecing together, like there was a crime that happened. And also the idea is like, did he murder his parents? We don't know. You know, where are the you know, psycho? Parents just, yeah. Well, it's like the mother is really old and well, both parents are really old at a certain point. But it's like we see the actually... mother like on the brink of death at one point. Yeah, yeah. Where but the, the question is, the girl's like, yeah. is she sleeping? That yeah. Jesse Plemons was very creepy in all the house scenes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, but it's, it's like, did he murder his parents? Do you when think they were he younger? cast him because he looks like Philip Seymour Hoffman? No, I mean this movie went through a lot of different iterations. Like originally, it was going to be Brie Larson starring in it. I saw that. I think that works. It's a little different. If she, do you think she would have been blonde? If she had been in it, I don't know. I think with Brie Larson, it becomes even more obvious that it's like a construction, especially if it's Jesse Plemons, because well, like, I mean, she would be she, totally out of his league. You know what I mean? Like, well, obviously, Jesse, Jesse Buckley is a very attractive woman, but like, she's not like Brie Larson beautiful. Well, I don't know. I'm gay. Like, I think they're like about equal attractiveness. Like, that's, I, I, that's a gay but, man. He's talking. <laughs> well, 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 but Jesse Buckley is also like this bright redhead. Like that stands out. Yeah, but it's a little, you know, like a blonde, like it's like the typical American, like the blondes are prettier. Gentlemen prefer blondes. It just becomes a little more obviously a construction. I don't know. It well, would have worked different. But a redhead seems like a distinctive, like, oh, this is something that like, oh, she's a redhead. I don't know. Because he likes I, a particular kind of girl. Yeah. It's a little yeah, bit so different. I, I recommend, I mean, I don't think this movie is going to be playing in theaters anymore, but it's on no. Netflix. Um, so, and like the thing that's great about Netflix is like, they are they, releasing them in theaters. Yeah. Like, that, well, and that there, we've said this before, like they are saving cinema in a way they may be destroying brick and mortar cinemas, but they're the ones giving Martin Scorsese and yeah. Spike Lee and Charlie Kaufman, David Fincher to make Michael a Bay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but, I mean, but that's so bizarre. Like the idea yeah. of Michael Bay making like $150 million yes. action film and going straight to Netflix. Yes, it's it is. bizarre in a way, but well, they just have like more money than they know what to do with. And, to a certain extent, it is, yeah, saving cinema because it's giving directors a lot more creative control than they ever would have had with the studio yeah. who are actually concerned Charlie- with the movie making money. Netflix doesn't really care if a movie makes money. It's all about eyeballs and literally, I mean, they have to spend money because they make so much. It's not like they can sit on like a pile of money, so they need to spend it on stuff. So 
we get what interesting stuff like i'm thinking of ending things do you think this would have been made if it wasn't for netflix oh charlie Kaufman said no no way yeah no one would i mean he's been trying to make a movie for five years since anomaly so he made a stop motion animated film they ended up fun partially with kickstarter and nobody went to see that nobody wants to see snacky in new york and it's like he said in interviews like i don't like you know people ask him like why have you made so many fil- so few films and he's like it's not for want of trying like i desperately tried to make work like it's great he had a musical that was going to star um nicholas cage jack black kevin klein cape lanchette elizabeth banks paul rubens and like uh jackie weaver and it fell apart like right before you know and Uh it's like how does the studio not fund that you know i just i I, now we got like two more projects picked up right there's it's like a Ryan Gosling TV show. There's one about a virus that causes stupidity, which might be a little too on the nose these days. <laughs> but, Sounds uh, very Charlie yeah, Kaufman. Imagine it being like contagion meets idiocracy. I was thinking idiocracy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so I, I deeply admire Charlie Kaufman, and um, he's a very sensitive artist, and he's brilliant, and I love his films, and I think this one is absolutely worth seeing and thinking about. I definitely mm-hmm. recommend it. And it's yeah. more entertaining than it sounds. <laughs> I, re- I recommend seeing Tenet, but I don't recommend the film, if that makes sense. You recommend the experience of seeing a movie. I, I, which Nolan is an artist I respect enough that I think you should go see his films, even the ones that don't work. You know, I, or, or, or the lesser ones. It's not completely just, worthless. <laughs> no, I think that it's his, I do think it's his weakest film, though. I mean, it's hard to compare a giant, massive film like that to his first little tiny movie following. But yes. still, it's like I think Memento is better than Interstellar. Yes. You know what I mean? It's definitely it's like, a lot more cohesive of an idea and honestly just works better as a movie. The like timeline think, jumping and everything is something you hadn't really seen that well done in an American movie, at least. Well, I mean looper 12 monkeys well looper came out a good deal afterwards 12 monkeys uses time but not i mean the whole one side is going forward and one color the other side going in the other it, i mean it was very original come on i just i i do think that with christopher nolan that he suffers from something that i mean him and tarantino are like very similar like they're still big proponents of shooting on film not uh-huh. using cgi when they but i think that one problem they have is that their movies are often way too long and or, probably a or, little too caught up in their own hype to a certain extent. Yeah, and you admire that when it's well done. Like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I thought was great, but I think that um, oh, I think Tarantino, like he he is as full of himself as any director ever. But I most of the time agree with him though that he he does pull it off and he does do it well. Yes, you know, but that's the difference know. between cocky and confident. Yeah, <laughs> you're cocky anyway. if you don't pull it off. But yeah, we had two movies to review. For the first time in a very long time, we both went to a movie theater for the first time in half a year, which is pretty amazing. It is something to celebrate. Yeah, I I, I am going back sometime. I, I still want to say maybe we can review David Copperfield. Yeah. Or I mean, something else. That I think The Devil Netflix. All the Time we're both interested in. That's another Netflix movie. Yeah. And I when it comes out, Mank, certainly. Yes. I mean, we still have good stuff coming out this year. I mean, yeah. I don't know how yeah. much are going to be in theaters or at least successful runs in theaters. Like Wonder Woman 1984 is supposed to come out. Uh, the next James Bond movie. Is that is that officially coming out this year still? or is it I think it's year? November. 
is yeah. uh, is what I saw. No time well, to die. Besides Tenet, the other big budget, like big movie that actually was in my top ten, Dune is still scheduled to come mm-hmm. out at the end of the year, and the trailer for that came out recently. Yes, but I do think that um, it'll end up being like half the movies I was looking forward to. Like even though it came out in twenty seventeen, Woody Allen's A Rainy Day in New York is finally being released in the U.S. Did you see? I texted you mm-hmm. that. So, uh, and it's going to be playing in Atlanta. The article specifically said that it was going to open in Atlanta. So, um, even though you know he's, all, you know, all of his recent films are not Annie Hall in Manhattan. I yes. certainly am going to go see that because I've he's the director I've seen the most films by in their original release and just films by in period. This, this is almost his fiftieth film. He's directed a film a year since nineteen sixty nine almost. Incredible. Uh, yeah. So, and his newest, and his even his one newer than that, Rifkin's Festival, mm-hmm. which has uh, Christoph Waltz, Wallace Shawn, Gina Gershon, Louis. Gr- uh, how do you pronounce it in the French actor Louis Grail? Oh, Louis yeah. Guriel, yeah. the yeah, one who's yeah. a little woman. Yeah, and St- Steve Gutenberg or in Steve Allen. Gutenberg. Look at that, yeah. Woody Allen yeah. giving actors a comeback. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> hey, one of the best. I mean, Andrew Dice Clay was really good in Blue Jasmine. That's true. Against yeah, type. I th- yeah, it was so funny that one critic was saying that, like, it's, like, perverse and great of Woody Allen to do a movie where, like, the most moral and decent character is played by Andrew Dice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I um, – no, but I always love uh, seeing Woody Allen's movies. I read his memoir this summer, so um, that is one that was in the top ten I was looking forward to. I was looking back at the films I was most looking forward to, and some of them, like – like I haven't like Terrence Malick shot a Jesus movie and it's in post production. Like when is that ever going to come out? The Green you know? Knight. Well, Don't know when that's going to come out. I was very excited yeah. about that one. It was supposed to come out in like April. That was one that was like doomed the, by the whole yeah. thing. One of the one of two Dev Patel literary adaptations. Exactly. That you're, yeah, but uh, it well some one way you can watch films besides the things that are coming on Netflix and being really streaming is that uh, like the New York Film Festival. Mm-hmm. They're having films you can rent virtual tickets to really i don't i don't really understand why like they're sold out it's like once you just want to make as much money as you possibly can like uh nomad land really they have a limited number of online tickets well some of them yeah it's like says sold out i'm like (laughs) well like and steve mcqueen has five films that are like just over an hour each and the first one just premiered as the opening film of the. that's like an anthology sort of thing right yeah yeah it was started out as a tv series and he decided to make it five films that are like just over an hour long each or at least I, i think the ones i've seen that i think they're right about an hour and then i like I was saying before we started, I'm teaching Titicock Follies in my class next week, documentary class, and um, his newest film, 90-year-old Frederick Wiseman. You can buy a ticket to virtually watch his newest film, City Hall, which is his second longest film yet, which is four hours and 32 minutes long. Imagine sitting with a mask having to sit in the theater <laughs> watching that. That would be too much. But um, <laughs> I mean, I thought Tenet was too long, but uh, I, I and it's funny that they're drive-ins. It's like most of the films that would play at the New York Film Festival, you not want, you wouldn't want to see like, you know, some of the things I've seen. Like, I mean, even something that's like a pretty accessible film, like I wouldn't want to watch Manchester by the Sea at a drive-in. <laughs> yeah. I saw I saw that at the New York Film Festival, or like L. Paul Verhoeven's film. I saw that once at the New York. Like, there's, you know, the drive-in should be a movie like Back to the know, Future. I, I'm thinking of ending things would actually be interesting to see it at a drive. Just because so much of it's in a car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you need to watch it while you're like uh, on a rear-projected, weird landscape going behind you. Give you the 4D right. experience. 
Right. Yeah. Well, I felt like we've uh, fully covered the films and there will be more films and hopefully, hopefully things will come out. I mean, it's like for me, it's there's not a lot of things I'm missing. I mean, there are, but it's like a lot of the big movies I don't really care about. Like, I'm not like, oh, my God, Fast and the Furious and Mulan. And I was pretty upset. Fast and Furious got pushed back. (laughs) Never seen one. Oh, man. They're better than you think they'd be, to be honest. I've heard that the middle of the series is the best, like the fourth and Four to six fun. is really good. Like legitimately good action movies. I just, I, I've heard there's like, I, I can't, sometimes you see things making fun of stuff and it's hard to not think of that. It's like I, there's an Onion video of like the screenwriter of Fast and Furious film and it's like this eight-year-old boy and he's like written the script in Crown. He's like, and then the car goes whoosh and it goes through the train and and, and it's like, you know. That, those are ones that do not take themselves too seriously. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, we'll we'll come back and try to review maybe David Copperfield, and mm-hmm. uh, there's a uh, there's other stuff coming out. Well, that's know. the exciting thing: movies are actually coming out. We've just yeah. been watching old movies for the entire summer, or TV shows. Well, I also really have not. I really didn't feel like going to see an old movie in the theater, like seeing yes. the Goonies or Inception, you yes. know, or Minions. You know, what, <laughs> like, that seems silly to me. I mean, I, there was a part of me that they did have the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which I've never actually seen all of them. I was thinking, oh, I could go see that. But I was like, I don't want to sit for three and a half hours with a mask watching trolls and like like, i'll wait until it's normal times i can wait and see them in the theater sometime Uh but uh well yeah yeah thank you for listening we will be back with you guys next time hopefully sooner rather than later thank you for listening